If you would turn with me to the first chapter of James, I want to begin there, um, introducing our sermon today from that chapter. Many of you were here when we began this great study through the book of James, and as most people, like when they begin reading or hearing this, this little book preached, are amazed, uh, if not shocked, at the command to consider trials and suffering a joyful thing. It seems to be just the opposite of that, doesn't it? I mean, when you think of things that bring you joy, you think about Christmas, you think about vacation, you think about raises at work, you think about grandkids and so forth and so on. Very few of us go straight to suffering when we're looking for joy, right? And yet this is where the book begins. It doesn't seem to phase James at all that this might cause us to stop reading. But uh, this, is, in fact, is where he begins. Consider it joy, brothers, or count it all joy, brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And, of course, knowing that we would struggle with that reality, he says to us in verse 5, if you need wisdom to understand how this works, then go to God. You see that? If you're struggling to find joy in trials, James says in verse 5, to pray and ask God for the wisdom and insight to be able to do so. Because it is a fact that God's perspective is different than ours. And God is the one who controls our circumstances, including our suffering. And if we want to have his perspective and, and experience the joy we're intended to experience through our trials, then we need to pray for wisdom to know God's perspective on these things. Why am I going through these things? He, he wants, James does, wants us to see that trials and suffering are allies to be embraced, not enemies to be recoiled from. Now, turn with me to chapter 5. As we come to the conclusion of this book, we're going to see that James remains committed to the importance of suffering in the life of a Christian. He wants to make sure that we have a clear understanding of these things because of their vital importance to our spiritual progress. I, I hope that by now, at least after a year in this book, you at least understand that, that there is a point to our suffering. God intends us to understand that and embrace it. Let me read for you our text for the day, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. And I want to then dive into it together. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. This is the text that we're going to look at today, and I hope uh, spend time 
um, encouraging your hearts from it. And I think, I'm certain, in fact, with the Holy Spirit's help, that your thinking is going to be challenged today, and I hope that your hearts will be stirred towards Christ. That is the intent of all our preaching, isn't it? Well, James' strategy in dealing with suffering, as you can see, is to pray in the text today. Uh, the theme of verses 13 through 18 is prayer, and it's mentioned in every single verse. Pray, 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 pray. All the way through these verses. Individuals are called upon to pray in verse 13. Then individuals are called upon to call on their elders to pray in verses 14 and 15. And then individuals are called on to call on their friends at, in the congregation to pray for them. And then he gives an example in verses 17 and 18 of Elijah's prayer life and how effective that was. Also that we can remember to pray in our times of difficulty. So why pray? Well, prayer taps the source of spiritual endurance. Are you struggling to maintain? Are you struggling to keep up? Are you struggling to see the joy in your circumstances? Have you been praying? That's what James is after. It would have been surprising, in fact, if in a letter to struggling, persecuted Christians, James had neglected to mention prayer, wouldn't it have been? A strong commitment to prayer is a prerequisite to enduring suffering, to enduring affliction. He says that the antidote for suffering is prayer. And so, do you want to endure through trial, through suffering? Pray then. Prayer connects us to God. The God of all comfort, we've heard. From 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction. That's the one we're going to with our requests. Why do we go to him? Why does he comfort us? Well, Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, because he cares for us. We know a God who is a character quality is comfort who cares for us. That's the motivation to go to him. So where can we go when suffering? Who truly cares for us? It's this God of all comfort, who not only is a God who is transcendent, who lives out there and up there, who doesn't know what it is that we experience. No, we, we go to a God who has experienced everything that we have. Listen to this, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, some of our favorite verses right here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Aren't you glad about that? We have someone who stands between us and God who knows everything about us and everything about God. <laughs> but one who is in every respect, every respect been tempted just like us, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace where our high priest is, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in that time of need. When you're suffering, when you're afflicted. So James here in verse 13 says, when you are troubled, when you're suffering, go to prayer. But then look at the verse again in verse 13. He covers the gamut of Christian experience, all the way from those who are suffering, go to prayer, and those who are joyful, sing, sing praises. So he's covering the entire spectrum of Christian experience. 
those who are under the burden of some kind of sickness or sin, all the way to the other end, to those who are secure, confident, experiencing smooth sailing, joyful in the Lord. Everyone in this room fits in that, that spectrum. So suffering in verse 13 is a broad term, same term used up in verse 10. Do you see that? In verse 10 of your copy. In verse 10, he directs our attention to the patient suffering of the prophets. You remember those guys, right? Jeremiah, you remember his suffering? He suffered so much that we call him the weeping prophet. He did a lot of weeping because of his suffering. He was thrown into a pit, a cistern really, that was half full of mud. He sunk up to his armpits and they left him there to die intentionally because he was speaking against their sin, their betrayal of God. And so he was suffering for doing the right thing. He was suffering for what God had told him to do. And then Ezekiel, we remember him. In Ezekiel chapter 24, it says that God told Ezekiel, I'm going to take the delight of your eyes away from you. Your wife is going to die today. And he removed her. He suffered through the loss of a loved one. Many of you can relate. Hosea, another prophet, was directed to marry a prostitute. And she continued in her prostitution. And Hosea was commanded by God to continue to love her, continue to return to her, continue to take her back, continue to nurture her. So he, he endured the, the severe dysfunction of this unbelievable relationship. These are all examples of real suffering that James wants us to think about. Not mild suffering like having a cold or getting a flat tire or getting defriended on Facebook or something like that. We suffer so much. Right? No, James is encouraging us to remember how those who have really suffered endured. Why does he want us to remember them? So that we will know how to act and think when we go through similar horrific experiences. Copy them, is what James is saying. When real trouble comes, like that of Yvonne and Chuck that they're going through now, and others in our church who have endured decades-long struggles with debilitating health that many of you know of, what do we do? Do we check out, call it quits when things get a little bit tough? Well, our natural response would be to become discouraged, right? Depressed, pout, grumble, isolate ourselves, maybe even have a pity party. But the authentic believer we've learned from James will respond supernaturally because they have authentic faith. In this letter, we've learned that the supernatural response to trials is to count it all joy, chapter 1, and now here in chapter 5, to pray. That's how we deal with suffering. I, I think that we've learned from James that those who have authentic faith don't collapse when things don't go their way. When, when the storms of life test our faith, we don't just call it quits. We, act, we actually keep going, keep on keeping on. It's, it's when the road gets rough that the true Christian demonstrates what they are really made of, what's really on the inside. Like Hebrews 10, 39 says, but we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's, that's us. 
the authentic ones. So believe it or not, and I know some of you believe me because of the experiences of your life, trials actually can be a source of joy when we respond to them in the way that God has designed us to respond to them. When we understand that God has a plan and a purpose for our suffering. So how do we, how do we get to that level of maturity as Christians? How can we actually look at suffering and trial and be joyful? Is that really possible or is that just like a pipe dream of James just blowing smoke because he was the half-brother of Jesus? Well, I want to I want to tell you this morning, and I think you already know this, but there's no magic wands for how we get to that level of maturity. I wish there were. I wish that there's some way that, you know, we could wave something over the the congregation here and you walk away with the ability to be joyful in all your circumstances but it, that, that wand doesn't exist so I want, I want to walk you through here how James approaches it and I hope it'll be a source of encouragement to you, a source of hope um, and I think it'll stir your heart towards Christ if nothing else so let's look at this together when, when hard times hit, when in hard times what are we supposed to do according to the very first few words of, chapter, of this verse, verse 13. Acknowledge God, okay? We say, we say pray, of course, but what is that? We're simply acknowledging God in hard times. And what I mean by acknowledging God is that we turn our attention to him. When you're suffering or in trouble, our first move must be Godward. The, the suffering that James is referring to is not the result of sin, it's not the result of God's discipline for our sin. It is the regular, ordinary, normal difficulties and trials that we all go through because we're human. And then the added difficulty of those of us who know Christ, the, the persecution of following him may be added to that. Um, and I, I've picked out three things here from these few words here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. I picked out three ideas that might help you understand exactly what, what James is talking about. First thing is this, pray don't grumble. He doesn't say pray and, you know, no, he says pray, period. Pray and don't grumble. And I got the grumbling from verse 9. Verse 9, he directly commands us not to grumble in the midst of suffering. Of course, our natural response to suffering and trouble might be to complain, might be to grumble about our circumstances or grumble um, against those who have an easier path. You know, God, I'm going through all these things. Look at them. How come they got it so easy? What? You ever been there? We need to resist the temptation to complain to anyone about our suffering. I believe asking for prayer and sharing your struggles with trusted fellow Christians is an appropriate way to communicate about your suffering without complaining. We'll, we'll get into this in the weeks to come, but in verses 14 and 16, we're supposed to at least share our struggles with the elders, and then in verse 16, with fellow Christians in the same church, so that they can pray for you. But we'll get into that in the weeks to come. Praying can result, of course, in God removing the suffering. Isn't that what our hope is? <laughs> God, it's getting a little intense here, a little hot. Is there any way you can end this for me? Like, help me through this right now? Or yesterday. Um, so God can certainly do that. He can remove the suffering, but more likely than not, he's simply going to give us the grace to endure it. Have you discovered that yet as a Christian? 
that it's just because you pray about something doesn't <laughs> change your circumstances. He just gives you the grace to endure your circumstances. Friends, the reason that, that we're in trouble and in and a suffering experience is because God is up to something. If you're going through something, if you have a burden on your soul or in your heart and, you, and, you, and you're just uncomfortable with whatever it is, remind yourself that God's doing something. He's up to something. He's producing something in you that couldn't be produced without that. So when you pray about that particular thing, do you think God's going to remove it if the work isn't accomplished? No. No, he, he may remove the trial from you, but more likely than not, he'll just strengthen you in it. I, I think, as we have learned, God uses those things to conform us into the image of Christ. Uh, we see that in James 5. We see it in James 8. I mean, James, uh, Romans 5, Romans 8, James 1 and 2. So until the trouble accomplishes God's purpose, I think it's going to remain. So here's an idea. Instead of praying for ease and comfort, pray for stamina and joy. So pray, don't grumble. Next I see here the idea that I'm about to say, pray, comma, I can't. That's so simplistic, Pastor John. You don't know the depth of my sorrow. You don't know the experience of my suffering. So it's a little bit simplistic and insensitive for you to simply say pray. Well, thankfully, Pastor John's not saying it. James is through the Holy Spirit. He's saying that. Pray even when you think you can't. Why don't we pray? You may say, well, I just don't have the words. I'm so depressed, so discouraged, have so much on my heart and mind. I don't have the words. And I, and I would say, this is an amazing phenomenon. That we don't have the words, really. We certainly have the words we want to complain about it. But we don't have the words to pray about it. We, we have the words when we want to post our struggle on Facebook. But we don't have the words when we should pray. Why not use those same words that you would like to complain about or post about and take those words to God in prayer, even those words? Let me help you understand what complaining to God is in a biblical terms, biblical sense. It's called a lament. A lament. Do you know that the, the book of Psalms is full of the psalmist complaining to God about his circumstances? Very rarely are they ever resolved in the psalm. You know what happens? He ends up concluding the psalm with thanksgiving, knowing that God is going to sustain him through it, not get him out of it. Friends, complain to God. <laughs> Don't complain to your neighbor or your Facebook buddies. Why don't you take those painful words of your heart that are causing you such distress to a loving and caring Heavenly Father who's already told us to cast all of our cares on Him because He cares for us, who's already invited us into the throne room of grace where we can, we can be helped in our time of need. Maybe your prayers are simply laments, and that's okay. I think laments are powerful forms of worship. It's acknowledging your condition before God, your need before God, and, and whatever is in your heart, you just lay it out there, even if it's nothing. 
just quietly trusting him. Maybe all you can say is father, period. If that is where you're at, can I encourage you with something? If you're at that place where you just can't seem to find the words, um, maybe that's when you should take hold of someone else's prayers. Do you know why prayers are recorded in Scripture? Psalms, Paul's prayers, all over the Bible prayers. You know why they're recorded? So you'll use them. <laughs> use them. Do you know that there's not one emotion left out in the book of Psalms? Every emotion that you can experience from every source that they come from is in the book of Psalms. You can't invent an emotion or an or a, or a experience from which those emotions came that's not included in the book of Psalms. And out of those come prayers. Take hold of someone else's prayers. Pray the Psalms. Pray Paul's prayers in the epistles. Go beyond that. Buy a, a book called The Valley of Vision. Pray those prayers. Prayers are recorded so that we can use them. So when you're being swallowed alive by your circumstances and can't even think straight enough to pray, hold on to the prayers that others have prayed. And friends, the enemy knows the importance of keeping you from prayer. When are you tempted most to not pray? Isn't it at the very moment you should be praying? <laughs> when, are, when are you tempted most to isolate yourself from Christian brothers, Christian fellowship? Isn't it when you most need that fellowship? When are you tempted most to not read your Bible, to not be in church? Friends, we are tempted to bail at the very moment that we can't afford to. So pray when you can't. And then the last observation here I want to make, just in this simple command to pray when you're suffering, is this pray and wait. Now, I'm sure some of you read James 5.13 with a little disappointment because at the end of that, or that, the end after the word pray is a period. Don't you wish there would have been something else? I mean, don't you wish that if we're going to be instructed to pray when we're in trouble and suffering, that it would have been nice if James would have been thoughtful and added a line or two about how God's going to come through. But it's, are you suffering? Let him pray, period. That's it. Okay, God, well, okay, I'll pray, but you'd better do something about my circumstances when I pray. Otherwise, what's the point? Here's how it goes. We get into trouble, we're suffering through something, we pray about it, then what happens? Y'all been there, what happens next? More trouble, right? You pray, or you go through into trouble, you pray, and then more trouble, it seems. That's why so many people give up, if not on God, at least on a vibrant pursuit of him. If not on God, at least on a joyful Christian life. I'll, I'll just keep pretending about this God thing. Will God deliver me? Maybe. But he will surely strengthen you. 
I get this because of not so much the period after the word pray, but the form of the verb to pray. The form of the verb there indicates a continual pleading in prayer. It could be translated, maybe would be a better translation to hear it this way. Let him keep on praying. If, if you are weary as a believer, your best option is to continually pray for comfort, continually pray for strength, to continually pray for deliverance, and then wait. Wait. God's doing something. The example of Paul's suffering in 2 Corinthians 12 is helpful, I think. If you remember, Paul pleaded for years that God would get him out of this suffering, out of this trouble. And what did God tell him? Listen closely. No. <laughs> he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He said to Paul, keep on keeping on. I think an example of Abraham is also helpful. He heard a promise even from God. God promised him a son. Abraham prayed that God would fulfill that promise repeatedly over and over. That is the story of Genesis. Abraham's waiting. He waited for 50 years. How long have you waited? 50 years. I remember, I've told you this story before, but I remember praying for my father's younger brother, Uncle Virgil, that he would come to know Christ we prayed for him every single night of my life that I can remember when I was in my parents' home. I mean, and then I moved out of my parents' home and my dad continued to pray for him. And then six months before Uncle Virgil died, he came to Christ. I think he was praying for 50 years maybe for his, his brother. How about Joseph's example in prison? That was only two years that he was in prison, thrown in there for something he didn't do. Do you think he prayed in prison? <laughs> yeah. Joseph prayed and waited and waited. And you got to know that all these things, Paul, Abraham, Joseph, God was up to something doing something, creating something, forming Christ in these folks so that just at the right time they would be so useful for his glory and his purposes. One thing that encourages us, encourages me from verse 13 is that God will eventually bring us through times of trial and suffering to times of rejoicing. Do you see how the end of verse 13 is? You see how it ends? Starts with, if you're suffering, pray, and then how does it end? If you're cheerful, praise. I think what, what James is saying there is that hard times aren't going to last forever. Be hopeful. Continue to pray. Wait. God's going to bring you through them, and when you come through them, you will have that joy and that, that time of of response that we read there at the end of verse 13, morning will come one day, someday it'll happen. Hang on, trust the Lord. So 
the, the first thing that I want you to see here in today's text is that when hard times come, acknowledge God. Don't grumble. Pray even if you can't and wait. Secondly, let's look at the second half of that verse 13. When good times come, what are you supposed to do? Acknowledge God. It's the same answer. No, yeah, okay, it is the same answer. And I meant that. It's not a misprint. Acknowledge God. Whether you're experiencing smooth or rough waters in your life, you should acknowledge God. If you're suffering, you're pleading in prayer. If you're cheerful, you're singing praises. Both are acknowledging God and his sovereign plan in your life. But sometimes in our cheerfulness, in our smooth sailing, we forget God, don't we? We do. Will you admit that when things are great and you're in a cheerful time and smooth, the sailing is smooth that you tend to forget God? Isn't that normal in times of smooth sailing? You'd say, well, trouble may push me away from God. And I would say that's possible. Most likely, if you are a genuine believer, trouble will eventually draw you closer to him. But happiness, cheeriness, success, smooth sailing is just as likely to cause you to drift away from God as suffering. And I would say this, I would argue this, maybe more so in our culture. When, when seas are smooth, I tend to stop rowing. In the early 1990s, I was a youth pastor at uh, Westside Baptist Church here in town. And Rick and Amy Lyon were in our youth group. And we took the youth to the Deschutes River for a week of whitewater rafting. And as you can tell, Rick and Amy survived that trip. They are still with us. But when you get into a Category 5 rapid, your, sentence be, your senses become heightened. You become aware of everything around you. Things slow motion. Have you ever been in one of those situations? Everything is just happening in slow motion. Um, you're, you're paddling like crazy. You're, you can hear yourself screaming at someone to start paddling and do their part, help out. Everyone's got to participate here if we're not going to die, you know. But then you come out the other end of the rapid, you know, and you kind of come back to your senses and you roll up your sleeves, you put down your paddle, and you're floating down this nice calm little river until you start hearing rapids approaching. Everybody starts screaming and freaking out again. That's life, isn't it? When things get tough, man, your, your senses get heightened, you're all over it, you're ready, you're, you expect the worst and you're dealing with it. But then when you hit smooth water, eh, <laughs> who needs a paddle? <laughs> who needs anything? You know, this very thing happened to the people of Israel. Moses knew it was coming and he warned them about it. Deuteronomy 6 10 through 12, right before they were going to enter the land. 
And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill, cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. When did they drift? When things were smooth. Friends, if we forget that we are in a war in the Christian life, because of smooth sailing, we will drift away from Christ. So, if we're not wary of the enemy's schemes, we could get caught off guard either when times of suffering hits us or when times of happiness hit us. There's a cliff on both sides. The, da the danger is just as great or greater when the skies are blue and the birds are chirping. There may not be outright apostasy, at least it's claimed, but the result is the same as those who walk away from God when things are really tough. Both extremes are real danger. And I would say because of our culture, we need to be more careful of easy times. So forgetting God is important here when we're thinking about times of cheerfulness, verse 13. What should we be doing? It says praising God, right? Let him sing praise. And I want you to know something here. Our singing isn't just a happy humming tune because we're carefree and skipping down the road. No, what James is talking about, that our, the singing that we ought to be doing ought to reflect the character and goodness of God. The word praise in verse 13 there is actually the word psalms. So, let him sing psalms is what James wrote. Why is that important? Well, it's important because when you, when you read psalms, when you think of psalms, the authors, even in times of rejoicing, aren't just whistling Dixie. What are they doing? They're recounting the character of God and his faithfulness. Right? They're acknowledging God. They're praising and worshiping him for what he has done and who he is. They're not singing the praises of their financial planner for making them a lot of money. Or their naturopathic doctor for the diet and exercise program that they produced. No, they're singing songs of praise that are directed at the true source of joy and cheer, who is God himself. It's natural to be happy and jovial when circumstances are good. It's supernatural to direct your praise towards God in those times. It's natural to praise your good fortune on your financial genius or your hard work. It's supernatural to give God the glory when your finances take an upturn or when you're feeling really well. You see, James isn't saying to be happy when your circumstances are good and to pray when they're bad. He is saying pray in every circumstance. Like Paul said, pray without ceasing. Pray for help when you're in trouble and sing prayers of praise when you're cheerful, both acknowledging the providence of God. Friends, think about the power of this testimony in your life. 
Think about how powerful evangelistic tool this could be to give God the praise for your good circumstances and to trust him in your bad circumstances is not natural and floods your friends and neighbors' life with light. It helps people see the worth of the God that we say we worship. When people discover that in your pain you trust God and in your success you give him the credit, punctuates the reality of your faith and the greatness of your God. So, <coughs> excuse me, as we move closer to, e to Easter, which is right around the corner, let's begin to pray more intentionally about those we will invite to our services. Pray that we'll be able to be this kind of testimony to them between now and then and after then. That we will present the greatness of God to those who desperately need him during times of suffering and times of rejoicing. To, to be giving glory to their creator for all that they're experiencing because of his goodness. So let's invite our friends. Let's invite our neighbors to meet the friend of sinners who invites them into his presence to, to help them in their time of need. Friends, we have a wonderful Savior. Let's introduce him to people. Pray with me.